0: Amen. I am so thankful that He is my God, that He is watching over me and guiding me. In fact, each and every day that I open my eyes, I'm somewhat amazed that He has strengthened me and sustained me to see another day. It is such a blessing to live and know the grace of our living God, the grace of our loving God, the grace of a God who would see in the midst of my sin, in the midst of my selfishness, in the midst of all my problems and my messed up life, He would see and love me even enough to give His own Son to save my soul. That's a gracious God. That is a God who I can rejoice every morning as I open my eyes and realize that I am gripped by His grace. As we come today to our these final words in the book of Titus, we are going to go back through one more time next week and overview the entire book and what we have learned. But today as we find these closing words in this book of Titus, we come to a wonderful and beautiful farewell where Paul is writing from the depth of the love and devotion and concern for the local church there at the island of Crete. And He's reaching out. He's crying out. He's calling out to that congregation and showing the depth of His love, His devotion and concern for them. Paul shows a great depth and understanding of how God's people are to view, relate, and live with one another in the midst of a fallen world, in the midst of a world gone all wrong. Paul shows us how we are to interact with one another. He doesn't over, want to overlook anyone. He doesn't want to take anyone for granted. He doesn't want to see anyone as just a, a, an expendable pawn in the midst of this spiritual chess. Match. As we come today, we understand that there is no one expendable. Paul understands what we must understand understand that people indeed are not scenery to be viewed or machinery to be used up and thrown away. People are God's creation given to worship and to love and to serve. Him and Him alone. As we come today, we are to understand that people are not just scenery to be looked at. They are not just machinery to be used up and thrown away, but they are creatures created by God in His image, made to know, to love, to serve, and to worship the living God. And they are valuable enough for God not only to love us, but to love us enough not to spare His only begotten Son, but to give Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary so that you and I might be redeemed from our sins and have everlasting life. God loves us. He values us. We are precious in his sight as his creation. And the same should be true for our view of one another. We must view each other in that way. Indeed, if this is true according to God's Word, we should never see people as scenery or machinery. We should always value them as precious image bearers of God who are worth the sacrifice of His only begotten Son. We must have that understanding. That must permeate the culture of the church. That must permeate the culture of the Christian life. But not only that, but we also need to see and understand the grace. We need to see each other rightly, but we need to see each other through the lens of grace by which God has seen us. And as we begin this morning, I want to read to you two different views on God and how to relate to Him. And just hold your finger there in Titus 3 and flip over with me to Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14. And let's look at the interaction of two different people with God and how they see how to, how they see their relationship with him. It says in Luke chapter 18 verses 9 and following, and he, Jesus, also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people. Swindlers unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, This man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. As we come today, there, there indeed, there indeed is a path of grace by which we will walk and know Jesus Christ, by which we will rejoice and serve and love him, worship him forevermore. But on the, on either side of the path of grace are two devastating gullies which we are tempted to fall into. And one gully is the gully of legalism. That is a gully that says, you know what, I can earn my way to God, I can get to God, and I can make myself acceptable to Him. And that's exactly what the Pharisee was doing. Hey, look at me. Look how good I am. Look, I'm not like all these other sinners. I don't have any need of that, God. Look at me. I pray to you regularly. I do all that you ask. I even pay tithes. Everything's great because I am able to accomplish it. And to that, the New Testament speaks clearly. And Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says, For by grace you are saved. Not by works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. So the one gully is legalism, but on the other side of the path of grace, there is the gully of antinomianism. That's a $10 word. Steve, I'm going to explain it to you. All right. Uh, Go, he says, go ahead. He needs it. Uh, Antinomianism just means this. It's a word, a term that means no law. And just like the legalist would try to live out the law in order to justify himself before God, the antinomian would say, now that I've walked an aisle, I've prayed a prayer, I've gotten baptized, there's no law. It doesn't matter what I do. I can just go and sin freely. I can do whatever I want. And I can fall off the cliff of grace on the other side. And here's what we must say. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 Should we continue sinning so that grace may abound the more? Certainly not. God forbid that we would ever have that attitude. And so what we see in the Bible is a path of salvation, and the path of salvation is God's grace coming to redeem and restore sinful men and women so that they might be made sons and daughters of the Most High. But we have gullies on either side, which we are in danger of falling off into either legalism on one side or antinomianism on the other side. But hear me and hear me well, if we want to love God, if we want to serve God, if we want to know God and worship Him in spirit and in truth, we must walk that path of grace and we must not live in our own abilities but we must live gripped by his grace gripped by God's grace See, grace humbles the proud heart that seeks to exalt itself and it condemns the passive heart that seeks to do nothing so that all those who have tasted redemption and forgiveness of sin are gripped by God's grace. And as we take this text this morning, I want to ask you this morning, are you gripped by God's grace? Are you gripped by God's grace? Has it come into your heart and life Changed your, changed your makeup. Changed your DNA. Transformed you. Because that's an issue that Paul wants to make sure every one of us understand, number one, that we would value all of God's people. Number two, that we would be gripped by grace and walk in it each and every day. Let's take for ourselves our Bibles and turn there to Titus chapter 3, verse 15. And let's read these closing words of this passage of this epistle. Let's stand now in honor of the reading of this God's holy and inerrant Word. Titus chapter 3, verse 15 reads as follows. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. Father, we need Your grace. Lord, we come this morning asking... That as we study Your Word, You would pour out Your grace richly upon us. Father, we ask this morning that You would make this book live to me. That you, would make us, uh, that you would allow us to see our God. That You would allow us to see ourselves and our sin. That You would allow us to see Your Savior and to surrender everything to Him as You would make this book live to each and every one of us. We pray these things now. Uh, and ask now that you would speak lord for the ser- for your servants are listening speak lord for your servants are listening in jesus name amen we see in this passage that as brothers and sisters in Christ, God's grace should fill all of our relationships and the primary focus of our lives should not be ourselves. It should be it should be God's grace so that the world would see and know God's gospel through us. We should be so consumed by God's grace, filled with God's grace, walking in God's grace each and every day so that we would see and know the gospel in the midst of every interaction that we have, in the midst of every event. We would Constantly be consumed and the world as they watch our lives as they look upon our lives the world would see and know the difference of the gospel of jesus christ that they would know we're not making our own way we're not brushing god aside and living however we want to however we please but rather that we are walking step by step in the grace of the living god as paul closes out this Spirit-inspired letter here, we, we see that He is calling us to this. We understand that we should be gripped by God's grace in such a way that those who, do, who know us but do not know Jesus might come to know Jesus because they know us. Let me ask you, if you're a Christian here this morning, is that true of your life? Would those who know you but don't know Jesus, would they ever even think about coming to know Jesus because they know you? Each and every one of us need to understand that our lives are to be filled with God's grace, that we should live each and every area of our lives under the primary focus of making the gospel known to others so that indeed they might come to live in God's grace as well. So we begin this morning, we are first of all going to look at a gracious greeting to all. Notice that Paul begins with a gracious greeting to all. All those who are with me, greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Paul closes out the spirit inspired letter as he's closing out this word to the church there at Crete. He shows the death of love that existed within the early church. He makes sure and he wants them to know, Hey, listen guys, you're never in this alone. You're not out there on a limb all by yourself. You're right. We're right there with you. He wants the church at Crete to know that the whole church and the mission team that are with him are love them and care for them. They are praying for them and they are investing in them. His language here, no doubt, is reminding and refreshing young Titus, young Pastor Titus, who is in the midst of upheaval all around him in the church. He is saying, listen, you're never alone. You're not alone. In those moments when the Cretan Christians might have been overwhelmed by their culture, when they might have been overwhelmed by the corruption, when they might have been overwhelmed by the chaos, not only outside of the church, but within the church. After all, they lived among a people who were very corrupt, very chaotic. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 12 of Titus, one of the Cretan prophets had already said, listen, all Cretans are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Does that sound like our world today? Somewhat like our country, somewhat like our culture. Aren't there times when we are overwhelmed by the corruption, by the chaos, by the culture in which we live? Paul is saying, listen, I want you to know Crete. I want you to know church. I want you to know Titus. I want you to know that you are never alone. You can be encouraged because there are other believers who are partners in the gospel of grace with you and we are praying for you. We are working beside you. We love you so much. We're even willing to send ourselves some of our own so that they may help in in ministering to your culture and to the church. Listen, what a blessed relief it is when we are overwhelmed with circumstances, when we are overwhelmed with our family crisis, when we are overwhelmed with a culture in chaos. How How great a relief it is to know, number one, that our God never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's always right there with us. He's standing beside us. How great is it to know that our God has united us to the universal church, united throughout eternity to serve, to love, and to worship God. How great is it to know that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are right here close in the local expression of God's love and God's grace in the local church so that we can reach out and be carried along as we go through those tough times isn't it a blessing to know that isn't it a blessing to know god loves you and he's watching over you he's given others to walk beside you in the midst of this time do you notice something about paul paul's never alone is he Have you ever noticed that as he writes these letters in the New Testament? Paul is always with somebody doing something. He's always pausing to give greetings to other people in the midst of local churches. Do you know why that is? It's important to Paul. He understands that true fellowship, true shared life, true communion of the saints is important within the Christian life. Paul is saying, listen, I love the church. You need to love the church. We are one. In the body of Christ. He's always bringing greetings from Christians who are with him. To Christians who are not with him. He's always surrounded by fellow Christians. And he knows that Christian ministry will require and promote true gospel fellowship. So let me ask you today, as you're sitting here, as you're thinking, as you're looking around, where are your your connections? Who are those people that are walking through life with you? Who are those people who are encouraging you in the midst of family chaos or cultural chaos, in the midst of difficult financial times or difficult emotional times? Who are the people that are walking beside you, giving you spiritual nourishment and encouragement in those moments? Listen, we need to see and understand Paul never goes it alone. He always has people around him. And listen, in the times when Paul doesn't have people around him, what does he always long for? other Christians to come, that they would come and lift him up and carry him along. We are often tempted to think Paul was a spiritual lone ranger, but he was no such thing. He mentioned no less than 100 names in the midst of his epistles in the New Testament, constantly calling out and mentioning those who have been blessings to him, those who have come along to walk beside him, those who are, who are investing in encouraging him as he carries out the gospel ministry. But understand, everywhere in the New Testament we find Paul, we find him surrounded by Christians. He loves God's people. He needed Christian fellowship and he thrived on the mutual encouragement of that Christian church. And we must do the same. We are no less susceptible to coming down to being brought down by our own sinful desires. We are no less susceptible to hardship and heartache. We are no less susceptible to darkness and depression. We must understand the importance of Christian fellowship within the church of the living God. We must reach out to those around us. And so here's Paul constantly mentioning it, and he says, all who are with me greet you. Peter Brown's biography of Augustine, the great 4th century North African theologian, says this in a chapter that is entitled Simply Friends. He makes this statement as the first sentence of that chapter, Augustine will never be alone. Augustine will never be alone. Here's Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writer of many of the books of the New Testament. Here is Augustine, one of the great early theologians in church history. And here, both of them are never being alone. Let me ask you, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Who do you have? Who do you have? Who do you know you can call on? Who do you know you can walk beside? Who do you know is there is there to walk with you through those difficult times? We must have Christian friends. But notice also he says, greet those who love us in the faith. Paul's saying give greetings not just to the people who like Paul, not just to the people who have a normal human friendship with Paul, but listen, greet those who have a gospel friendship, those who are united in the faith with me, those who love the faith and. John 13 verses 34 and 35 tell us that in, that we are to have a different type of relationship with those who are Christians, those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, listen, a new commandment I have given to you, and this is that new commandment, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me ask you, if you're a Christian here today, as you look around and you think through the relationships that you have within your life, how many people can you truly say, I love them? I love them. I love them even as much as Christ loved them. I'm willing to lay down my life for the furtherment of their cause. I'm willing to go to bat and to go to battle with them. I love them. As we were in Zambia, God touched my heart with a love and a zeal for the work being done there by our brothers and sisters in Christ. It was amazing because we made connections in the span of a few moments that usually take a few years or even even a decade or longer. It was amazing as we came up and we got to know Pastor Mark and Pastor Given and Dominique. And it touched my heart that as we walked beside them, wasn't it amazing, especially for you, you remember those moments as you walked beside our new friends in the Gospel, our new friends in the faith, and as you walked beside them, the more we walked beside them, the more we wanted to love Jesus and live like Him. The more we walk beside them, the more we wanted to study God's Word and to live it out in the midst of our life. Isn't it amazing when you have that close gospel friendship, that close gospel fellowship that you want to do anything to serve God and to see His gospel go forward. It's amazing how close and how intimate in the span of just a few moments, that time with our brothers and sisters there in Zambia made us. It was amazing last night, even as I received an email, that one of those men, Dominique, was under persecution and had, had, had... His life threatened and my eyes filled with tears knowing the intense value of that young man to that church there in Sasheki and just stopping in the midst of that time to just pour out my soul in prayer to God that he would protect and strengthen and and allow Dominique to have a, a vibrant witness in the midst of that world. When we're connected by the Gospel, It's amazing what fades into the background, isn't it? And it's amazing the love that we have for one another because Jesus, after all, has first loved us. Paul wants to cultivate that kind of mutual Christian communion and true fellowship because He knows the Christian life requires it. He knows that we need it. So naturally, those who are living in the Gospel are going to promote it, are going to see it go out. I still remember even now the feelings I would have every now and then when we at First Baptist Church Barnesville, the church I grew up in, the church I got saved in, the church in which I was discipled in, it was amazing to me how... What would happen when we would stand up at the end of our service from time to time and everybody in the whole congregation would join hands and from the, from the top of the choir loft all the way to the back of the room, every person would reach and stretch out and join hands and together we would sing, We are one in the bond of love. We are one in the bond of love. We have joined our spirits with the Spirit of God. We are one in the bond of love. Do you know that feeling? Do you have that love, that compassion, that fellowship and that friendship with those around you in Christ's family? If you don't, then we need to think again about how we are to relate to God and to His church. For this message is just as important for us here today as it was 2,000 years ago for those believers in Crete. We are to have gracious greetings for all those who are in Christ. The first step to that though is for us to break our shell of solitude. Step out from where we sit week after week and month after month and year after year and step across and grab one another's hands and say, listen, we are one in the bond of love. We have joined our spirits with the Spirit of God. We are one in the Of love. Now let's live it out. Let's see it. Indeed, Paul's example in the work. We have Paul. Paul's example provides us a great example to follow. Indeed, he works hard at remembering names, remembering issues, being involved in people's lives, and praying people through the midst of their difficulties. You want to get involved in that way? Let me encourage you with something. Every Sunday morning at 9:15, we have Sunday school right back here in the in the education building and throughout the rest of our buildings. That's a great time for you to make this connection and to be one in the bond of love, to have people that know you, love you, care for you, and will be praying you through the midst of all the difficulties of life. Those are great opportunities. Don't waste them. But not only do we see a gracious greeting to all, but we also see a gracious benediction to all. A gracious benediction to all. And there, and we see it, the final words of the letter, grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. Surely each of us need God's grace, don't we? You need God's grace. I need God's grace. I don't know about you, but I, I mean, it seems like every day I'm bombarded with sin. I'm constantly having to battle against attitudes and, and, and different elements of sin within my life. I'm constantly having to battle and to fight for victory over sin. And that's just before I get up and put my feet on the floor and walk out the door. We all have issues and we need God's grace. We need God's grace to flood and to fill every area of our life. Grace is needed to save us from our sin. Grace is needed to sanctify us from sin. Grace is needed to overcome the lies of the devil and the temptations of this world. Grace is needed to fight and to conquer the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Grace is needed to transform our aberrant attitudes, our temperamental tantrums, and our weak wills so that we walk worthy of the calling, high calling in Jesus Christ our Lord. God's grace is needed to deal with opposition from without and subversion from within. We need God's grace to tear down the walls of culture and character and creed so that we can be formed into one kingdom under the only King who is worthy of worship and worthy of praise. We need God's grace to submit to His Word, to the indwelling Holy Spirit, and to the apostles' teaching. We need grace to become more Christ like and less self-absorbed we need grace to overcome our lackadaisical laziness and to live in his love we need grace to face adversity and to and to handle advancement we need god's grace we need god's grace we need god's grace because listen god's grace pulls us out of the miry muck that we get ourselves into in the midst of our lives. He sets us on solid ground to stand for Him. It's as if Paul never gets over the fact that God's grace has saved him from his sin. Have you ever gotten over that? Have you ever gone past that? Have you ever run past the fact that God saves sinners? Have you ever run past the fact that God's grace is the only way that you and I could ever stand before a just and holy God? I've never gotten over in, in these all these years since then. I have never ever gotten over the fact that at six years old I prayed that Jesus Christ would save my soul and forgive me of my sins that he would come in and lead me and guide me from that point forward and I have never 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 been forsaken by the living God that is his grace not my goodness Paul never gets over the grace of God he never misses an opportunity to teach about it. In fact, every single epistle he writes, listen to the way they close. In Romans chapter sixteen, verse twenty, and first Corinthians sixteen twenty three, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. In second Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse fourteen, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Galatians six eighteen, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Ephesians six twenty. 24. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Philippians 4.23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Colossians 4.18. Grace be with you all. 1 Thessalonians 5.28 and 2 Thessalonians 3.18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 1 Timothy 5.21 and 2 Timothy 4.22. Grace be with you. Philemon verse 25. The grace so the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Do you notice a connecting theme there? What is it? Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. He has taken and changed and transformed who you are and made you not sinners any longer in His sight, but sons and daughters of the Most High. What a great God we serve. What a powerful God we serve. What a gracious God that He would reach down and save somebody like me. Indeed, these words of blessing remind us of the centrality and the necessity of grace in our personal growth, in our growth as a congregation, as a body of believers, and as our growth as a universal church. Paul could have uttered no more powerful blessing on those at Crete or us here today than this simple passage that he uttered, grace be with you all. Indeed, we are united in one common faith as it says in verse 4, and we are under the peace and the grace of God which is now given us... uh, an ability to be sons and daughters of the Most High. And so now God's personal favor is resting upon us as Christians. God's unmerited pardon is in our lives. God's undeserved strengthening power is working within each and every Christian to grow us up in power and wisdom through grace. Grace be with you all. Paul knows the necessity of grace and he knows and understands if a, if a congregation, if a Christian is to be fruitful in the Christian in life, he must live on the pathway of what grace. He must walk in grace. He must be gripped by grace. And yet, as we look around, we are often tempted to walk in Luke eighteen, to walk as a Pharisee, to cry out, "God, look how great I am!" I mean, I'm all dressed up. I'm looking nice for you this morning. I even trimmed my beard last night. God. I pray all the time. I keep all the festivals. I keep all the feasts. God, I even pay my tithes. I even do everything that You say to do within Your Word. God, I've done all of these things perfect perfectly. Now won't You accept me into Your kingdom? And that's our proposition to God, to which God says, absolutely not, because I have given one way, one path, for sinners to be saved, and that is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I have sacrificed my own son on the cross of Calvary so that you might be forgiven and made new and made clean. Listen, there were two men who entered that temple that day. One of them was going there for religious therapy just to talk about how good he was. The other one was going for radical transformation saying, God, I need your grace. I need your mercy because I'm a sinner. Which one are you? Where do you stand? You seeking to gain god 's favor in your own power in your own excellence or in god 's grace? A man named Top Lady in seventeen seventy six was walking one day and a huge thunderstorm came up and he sought, out, uh, he, he sought out safety and solace there in the midst of a limestone crevice. And from that place, he penned these beautiful words. He said, Not the labor of my hands can fulfill your lost demands, could my zeal no respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. You must save and you alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let me tell you here this morning. You want to live in the power of a transformed life. And you want to walk in the powerful presence of the living God. You cannot get yourself there in your own good works. Nor should you ever expect To live in the powerful presence of the living God if you just throw away and disregard everything He says within His Word. You can't live without the law and you can't get there in the law. You must live and walk in grace and grace alone will bring you to Him. We come to these final words. This is how the Christian life is to be lived. In grace and in grace alone. And so what we have not, grace gives to us. What we know not, grace teaches us. What we are not, grace makes us. For the vilest offender who truly believes, in that moment, a pardon receives. And so let me ask you, how are you standing today? In your own power, in your own might, in your own majesty, or in the work of the living God who gave His Son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for your sins? How are you relating to your brothers and sisters in Christ, those others who have pardon through the blood and work of Jesus Christ? Are we living out the gospel and living in God's grace in the context of our relationships? Each and every one of us, as we come to this time of decision, ought to search out our hearts, see where they are, and come and kneel down, bow down, surrender everything to Christ and ask, God, in your grace, save me a sinner. Make me new. Clean me up and carry me on. Father, in this time, I ask that those who do not know You would come to You now. Father, they would come and bow down and, Father, surrender everything to You. So that as they do, You would pick them up. You would clean them up. You would wash them in the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, You would set them upon solid ground and lead them on as sons and daughters of the Most High. Lord, in this moment, Father, I ask that You would change us and transform us. Lord, we didn't come here this morning just for religious therapy. We came here this morning for a radical transformation. Would you bring it in our hearts and in our lives now? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand now for our hymn of invitation.